Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Rod and Staff, the official podcast of the Church of St. George, the Marte in Gales River, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica. I am Lindsay Shooters, your host on this exploration of faith during this time of continued crisis. And I'm joined as always by the rector of our parish, the Archdeacon Rodney Whiteman. How are you doing? Hi, Lindsay. Um, yeah, we've went through the motions of funerals today. My brother-in-law was buried and um, my, my aunt at the same time days so we had to split ourselves up as a family and go i went to my aunt's funeral and then my wife and daughters went to her brother's funeral which is not a very um it's a bit wanted to be at both and then i had um one of my colleagues was instituted in some in, in stellenbosch today and i ever so i've been quite involved today in in ministry um, so I'm feeling a bit um, tired, but looking forward to the podcast as always, because this chat always energizes me. This act of worship always stimulates me um, at the end of um, the day and at the end of the week, week, I would say, and, and, and also as a kind of a stimulus for, for the Sunday Eucharistic services. So, um mm. So I'm 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 re- I'm relaxed, tired but relaxed, and um, my cough is also beginning to chew. What's name Because I've had to change my high blood mm. pressure tablets. So oh, okay. Um, oh. I hope that other people who have high blood pressure tablets can also tell me how much tablets they've had to change because of the coughing side effect of high blood pressure tablets. So um, otherwise, I'm we we, we I, trust the same for you and your family. Uh, yes, I am increasingly thankful that um, I do not walk the blood pressure or the diabetes route um, because that level of like with the allergies and the asthma, I don't think I can manage other diseases at the same time. Mm, mm. Yeah, no, understandably, understandably. Yeah, that's why I'd rather go to the gym and assault my body that way to kind of stave off the effects of not the best lifestyle. Um, but now the family is doing well. This is, yeah, it yeah, it was a, a interesting week because um, obviously the kids are on holiday. So then Monique works from home and we kind of in each other's space more than usual, which, yeah, has its positives and its negatives. She, she says I'm a bad office co-worker um, because I just <laughs> sneeze and cough apparently loudly. Uh, this also followed on from a conversation we had last weekend where she objected to how loud I get when I watch the spring box. And I'm like, we've known each other for, we've been dating, we've been together for like 15, 17 years now. And like, I haven't changed. And she's like, no, but you're getting old. You're getting louder as you're getting older. And it's like, you know what? <laughs> what wow. <am> I... <laughs> wow. Wow. Ah, but anyway, on to the theme of the day. It's the 20th Sunday after Pentecost. The theme you have selected <laughs> is excellent gift of love. But... Um, it's quite interesting because just off air we were talking about that uh, you were a Anglican priest in a Baptist church uh, this afternoon, and you've chosen a quite a storied, well, independent Baptist um, preacher 
to draw a line from, which is, love is the doorway through which the human soul passes from selfishness to service. And I've probably mentioned it on this podcast before, but that strikes a chord with me because it was only at my daughter's birth that I realized what love truly was and how our lives are, we live our lives kind of seeking out purpose to be in service of something. And having a child just kind of crystallizes that in in your mind. Isn't it interesting that he images love as a doorway? Mm. Um, Something you and I and everybody cross over, pass through almost at random every day. Whether it's at home, in the home, there's many doors we pass through. And so doors become, you know, it's almost so normal to us that we perhaps don't see the significance of it. And so in one way, love is something that must be so normalized in our lives, but it mustn't be that we forget what what it's what role it's playing. Mm. And <clears throat> that significant doorway you just cited at the birth of your daughter, where love was imaged to you. Um, I suppose every time you look, you look for for the meaning of life. You're looking for that kind of doorway because it's love that gives meaning, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 doorways connect. Um, it is part of the pathways to connection. Um, rooms are structures of of galleries. We pass through each doorway into a place of galleries where others are. Mm. How do we pass through that? We can pass through that in a state of violence, or it could be through the passage of love. So yeah, and and I, I I I drawing on this that which you felt at the birth of your child was so deep within you mm-hmm. that it's mm-hmm. at the point that you could all you know it's almost elusive because it's so deep. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. where did you feel it? Where did you have a sense of it? You know here he talks about the human soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what words mm-hmm. you would use, but um, Jack hey, Hiles really gives, gave some thought to this, but the end result of love is always service, isn't it? It's what you were saying. The end, yes. the end. Yes. When your baby is born, you are saying, "I can no longer live my life in a selfish way. Yes. I'm now going yeah. from selfishness to serve." <clears throat> it was interesting. Um, last week we were visited by uh, my wife's extended family, um, and we were cousins. It was their first visit year with their now six-month-old child, also daughter, and I was speaking to a cousin and I was asking him um, what having a daughter has taught him, like just in in the six months. Because like it took me probably three days 
I think it was Monique's last day in hospital where I was holding my daughter and I was just overwhelmed by <laughs> this. It, it's it just like bursts out of your body. It's 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 really yeah, it's it's a strange sensation. Um and I'm sure parents listening right now can relate to that. Like you can't really ex- describe it. It's not an emotion, it's just like a thing that just floods you. Um mm. and it it was strange that it didn't happen like at first sight. Um it took some time, like it took some time for me to settle into the idea. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he he said, um, yeah, my life will never be the same. And I'm like, exactly. It's like everything changes, whatever. Like you were never ready. No one could have ever prepared you. Um, and like that little girl is completely unique and your relationship with her and how you raise her and how she reacts to various stimulus like it's completely you are the first father of that particular child and that in its own is 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 the superpower you know it yeah. becomes the ultimate reality for you isn't it yeah yeah mm. ah but that's enough deep philosophizing on, <laughs> on that <laughs> uh if you could please help us into focus um, with the collective prayer, and I'll catch up with you after that. The Lord be with you. My sisters and brothers, this is how we gather for worship. And I know that I receive your response with that as well. And as we are um, listening to each other <clears throat> with this visual reality that God is with us, and that we are entering into community with God and each other in the space of worship virtually. And so we are moved as we celebrate God's presence into the space of prayer, the collect which is on your screen for this, the 20th Sunday after Pentecost. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, you have taught us that Without love, whatever we do is worthless. Pour into our hearts that most excellent gift of love, without which whoever lives is counted dead before you. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to do things a little bit differently this week. Because there is a very strong connecting thread running through all three of the readings. So it's, I'll, I'll, okay, I'll go first from Job chapter 23, verses 1 to 9, and 16 to 17. How I wish I knew where to find him and knew how to go where he is. I would state my case before him and present all the arguments in my favor. Would God use all his strength against me? No, he would listen as I spoke. I have searched in the east, but God is not there. I have not found him when I searched in the west. God has been at work in the north and south, but I still, but still I have not seen him. Almighty God has destroyed my courage. It is God, not the dark, that makes me afraid even though the darkness has made me blind. 
So this idea of searching for God, mm. it carries throughout. And then like Jesus in the gospel pictures another idea that we'll, we'll get to. But this fear of God that Job obviously is feeling here, what, what do you have to say about the fear of God? What, how would you characterize it? Is it more a fear of authority? Is it a compulsion into meekness? It, does it destroy your courage? What, what is at the root of your fear of God? You know, um, when I was in my teen years, the, the sense of the fear of God was that this God is a punishing God. <clears throat> that was what, what, what was imaged to me when I, I think I told the story already, but it's worth repeating here. Mm. Because as an adult and as a priest, I ask myself the question when I speak to young people, particularly, and because I was a teenager when that sense of God, that sense of interpreting <coughs> my relationship with God was that if I don't do right, whatever that means, God was just ready to drop this rock on my life and I would be squashed out. That's how I imaged God. Mm. <coughs> and I kept wondering now, what is the meaning of that commandment that says you must not have an idol or an image of God? And, you know, whilst we talk about images there, something made of wood, I think that images are imprinted in people's minds too. Mm. And, mm. and who more gullible than young people who are dependent on, on older people to help them interpret life and help them interpret meaning? Help them interpret faith. So where did this come from? One of the things that drew my attention to it was when I was told that if I didn't go to a prayer meeting as a 12-year-old with a tie on, mm. on on a Saturday afternoon, then God was going to question that. He was out of favor with those who never wore ties to prayer meetings. Now, as a gullible 12-year-old, I just... I, I couldn't even answer the question, but that was how God was imaged to me in the words of an adult person. When I was testing my vocation to the priesthood, I had gone to work in Manenberg's Anglican Church um, <clears throat> with Father Bob DeMar, and I told a family friend who was in the Baptist Church, and he'd asked me, what was I doing now that I'd finished matric? I said, I was testing my vocation to the priesthood in the Anglican church. And he said to me, well, the spirit of God is not in the Anglican church. <laughs> yeah. And so I struggled with, well, you know, where is this God if this man who's an adult could definitely determine, you know, who was God? And then, and then I battled with this. I battled with this. And in those conversations, I never heard people talk about the God who loves me. Mm. 
So in my 20, I was 20 years old, 19, 20 years old, when I had a breakdown with this image of fear because I felt boxed and I couldn't move. And, you know, what kind of God is this that, that, that all he wants me to do is to behave in such a way that, but he has this threat of killing me if I didn't behave myself. So, because that was how it was imaged to me. Mm. That, that um, I went to, I was working with this priest and I dared to share it with him. You know what he said to me, and I, I really value that. He said, I don't know what you went through. I can't understand or explain it to you. But what I want you to remember, never forget, that God loves you. And God will never stop loving you. So... I then touch based with that. That became mine, the new path I was on. So in other words, what Job was doing, he was speaking out about that fear he felt. Mm. And I want to mm. encourage people that whatever negative religious stuff they've picked up along the way that is keeping them in bondage, don't keep it trapped in your memory. Speak about it. Because, <clears throat> because the fear that we may feel because of what people told us, what they believe God was going to do to you if you kept up in whatever way, as if they knew exactly how God would operate. Mm. But mm. we have the confidence Jesus gives us to be able to see that the God who we grew up with is not the terrifying, elusive God who is a God that you must fear, but a God whom you need, whom you are invited to, re to reverence. You're invited to enter into relationship with. A, go a God who in Jesus could take a child into his arms, lay his hands on them, and bless them and say of such is my kingdom. The God who stands by the most vulnerable in society. Not to put fear into us, but to assure us of his love. So I think that my job, my calling since my own grappling with this image of a God that I'm so terrified of. That all he wants to do is to, to nick me up. I don't want young people to be walking around with mm. an askew mm. image of God. A skewed, rather than a, yeah, an askew image, but an askew sense of who God is. Mm. Um, particularly when we Christians who talk about this God, we act aloof and we, we assume we give people the understanding God is also aloof. Yes. And so people have that sense. I need to, that's the only way I can relate. This God is too aloof. No, no, this God embodied our 
brokenness. So the incarnation becomes a deep um, sense of revival for me that what <clears throat> that his holiness embodies my sinfulness to redeem me. He did so because he loved me. So he invites me into a relationship of reverence and respect, almost mutual respect mm. and love. Yeah, because fear is separate. Yeah, fear does separate. Um, I, I think that's, uh, that, that's a very important consideration. It's always uh, like I was having the conversation with my mother-in-law earlier. Uh, where she said, I must rather ask the gardener <laughs> where he finds God because he's quite the faithful person. And I was telling her that it's difficult to converse like this, to ask those kinds of introspective questions to overtly religious people. Because it's that clinging to the certain, the particular way of worship and the, all the rules and regulations that get passed down by whatever church they are in, that puts them, it's, it's actually becomes an insecurity because there's no personal relationship there. And unfortunately, I always form my questions to test the depth of the personal relationship. And it's one of the things that I've, I've explained before that I tried to teach my children. is like, if you are wanting to enter into this relationship, I'm not going to stand in your way, but you have to make it personal. It has to be so deep inside you and that relationship must be so secure. Your idea of the God that you are worshiping must be so unique to you and so vivid that nothing anybody else can say can break that. Like you have to internalize and make the changes for yourself. No one can tell you from the outside what you are supposed to be believing, you know. Um, for me, like that, that is a solid foundation to, to build from. And there you can take artistic license because like, even here, where in, in Hebrews um, chapter 4, verses 12 to 16, where the author is saying, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts all the way through to where soul and spirit meet, to where joints and marrow come together. It judges the desires and thoughts of the heart. There is nothing that can be hid from God. Everything in all creation is exposed and lies open before his eyes. And it is to him that we must all give an account of ourselves. And then he goes on to say that there is a high priest who has gone into the very presence of God, Jesus, the Son of God. Our high priest is not one who cannot feel sympathy for our weaknesses. On the contrary, we have a high priest who, has, who was tempted in every way that we are, but did not sin. So... <laughs> There he is now presenting this, he is crazy idea. And like, this is the important thing is that we should always be conscious of these words are the author's ideas. 
the author's exploration, the author. This is how the author characterizes God, and it can be different for you. Like this is just kind of a, it's the stories that we have to tell to keep the culture alive. But I have one issue here of like, we cannot equate Jesus's humanity to ours with this kind of line that says, um, was tempted in every way that we are, but did not sin. This is the physical embodiment of God. This is Jesus Christ, like straight from heaven. Like that's not, that's like when rich people tell you to follow your passion. And it's like, no, dude, you already rich. Don't come tell me that sort of thing. So like when Jesus was tempted, that wasn't an ordinary person that was tempted. Like if you believe that Jesus is God, is the son of God, that was like, this dude has some serious swagger about him. Like he is impenetrable. Do you, do you disagree? <laughs> you know, we had the battle of, of old. Um, the, the, <clears throat> Is Jesus fully human and fully God? Is Jesus um, how, how is he meant? How are we meant to understand that as a let, let me put it like this: sin does not happen before temptation comes our way. Mm -hmm. His way of not giving into temptation tells us that it is possible to say no. But our formation in a broken world is for such that, you know, temptation is so liquor sometimes that it's hard to say no. So we live with a broken humanity in repair. His humanity was <coughs> what God intended humanity to be from the beginning, in my understanding. That is why I, co I connect well for myself with 2 Corinthians 5, when we are invited by Paul's words, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. So the gift of humanity becomes restored in Christ. But it's a journey and a process towards the full sense of what that is. Perhaps never be realized in this life. But Jesus is the understood also to be the new Adam, what God intended man to be actually. But <clears throat> deeper than that, it's what God was meant to be, what man was meant to be in relationship with God, in fellowship with God. 
So our humanity needed the sense of God's divinity, God's the fellowship with the divine in order to realize the fullness of our humanity. But sin comes and that is broken down. So for me, I, we struggled with this in our doctrine classes, given that you had church people in the second century and third century. There was a whole fight about how even the 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 um, Nicene Creed began to be written because there was an issue about mm. Jesus's divinity and his humanity and is he and and the and the thing that I walked away from those classes as I walk away from was when I've when I've said the, the Nicene Creed or the Apostles Creed that Jesus was fully man and fully God but that mystery is beyond my human understanding. But in him, I find the, the hope of, of the recovery of my humanity, of the healing and redemption of the brokenness that my humanity has with, within it. And you and I have to live with that brokenness um, and bring it to the place of redemption in Christ, and I think this is where I touch base with you. When you say you would encourage your children to 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 enter, if they're entering into a personal relationship with God, and 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 journey to the depths of it and explore it to the depths of it, we'll find that because Jesus was fully man and fully God, that he could say no to sin. Because that's how God intended it to be. But when we fell away because of our sin, we couldn't say no to the temptation. But Jesus makes it now possible. And isn't it interesting that the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray, which we know as the Lord's Prayer, that he who is fully man and fully God could say, there is going to be a moment in your day when you will say, for, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me and lead me not into temptation. You know, who else has the power to help me not to fall into temptation? Because I know how easily I could fall. I mean, we set up all the time, aren't we? You know, you could be innocently and innocently driving down the road and somebody mysteriously just cuts in before you, disrupting the whole sense of how well prepared you were for the day. And you have to deal with that, choosing either to deal with it from uh, the, the, the premise of contemplation and prayer or from, you know, you just peeved me now and I am going to have a little bit of road rage with you. We, we set up all the time. I mean, there's not a time when we cannot say that, this morning, I get to the petrol station. Um, I left a little later than I planned to. And at the petrol station, um, there's a lot of guys hanging around and nobody's coming to help me. So suddenly I begin to feel panicky, afraid that I'm going to be late. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I'm beginning to sense I'm losing it. 
I sensed in myself I'm losing it, but I chose not to act on that. Well, <laughs> a short while later, <coughs> all my, all the things in the car is fixed up. And then I happen to be giving the wrong card to pay. Now, I don't understand why this card is not working the way I thought it would work. Because I didn't need to give it. My points was already added. So mm. I had to learn mm. the grace I had at that moment available for me was to say to this guy, I do apologize for misunderstanding the process because I was also about to lose it then. So I get onto the highways and the traffic now begins to stagger. And I keep wondering, so what is this all about that would put me onto the wrong side of the day where somebody could easily say, you must have gotten off the wrong side of the bed today. <coughs> so we are set up to fail, set up to fall, set up to sin. I don't know, the, that's how life is. But where in any of those experiences I say the redemption is there because of Jesus for me. So I could look to him to help me recover from all of that. And he bad feelings towards the other drivers. I don't have any bad feelings towards the person who assisted me at the pump. So there is healing for my humanity. Who do I find it in? The one who was tempted but did not give in to sin and the one who taught me that I can say, forgive me my sins as I forgive and do not lead me into temptation but deliver me from evil. But the, the problem I have, um, and, and, I'll, and I'll use your, <laughs> your analogy as, as an example, is that when you speak about sin and temptation, it's a cop-out. It's our weakness in our own knowledge of self that then puts it to outside forces beyond our control, where had you stuck to a more rigid kind of timetable, woken up earlier, had things done quicker, like all of the frustrations were actually with yourself because you left later than you intended to. Like you, sure. you could not control anything else except the time that you left. And sure. it's, yeah, w one of the things I, I, I find very difficult to, to explain to people especially when I, when I express these sorts of thoughts where it's like, there's no one trying to throw you off your path, <laughs> you know? Um, there are people who actively plot against you in business and in life and in various organizations. This is true, out of jealousy and blah, blah, blah. But there is no supernatural force that is trying to derail you. Your decision to be a disciple in service of a God who I was actually reading the story of creation to my son this morning because he pulled out this compendium of books where it's like my first Bible stories and each little book is a passage from the Bible and it was the story of creation. And in there I was 
not shocked. Shocked is too strong. But there it was laid bare again that God created man because he wanted someone to talk to and to walk with. So there, like God's first act of creating man, if you believe that, was a selfish one. And now it's like your entire life must be spent trying to be this perfect model that God created you to be. And it, it really? <laughs> we don't have a problem. It's 2021 and we still don't have a problem with that. <laughs> well, uh, you know, look, I, I think that all our theories of why he did what he did in creation um, is something we're not going to fully understand. We will have theories about it. But but one of the beautiful things is about being God and us being made by God is that we create friendships. Mm. We are always seeking to connect, be it with a flower, be it with an animal, at least an approachable animal, mm. or be it with human beings. We we were made, God mm. is relational. God, I have a sense that God is community. And so within the community of God, there is the sense to establish community, to develop community, to grow community. Mm. So I have no problem with 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 that in in the most child I I don't know how to say would I don't know even how to say that in a way that a child would understand but the world is a relational world and mm. if the world is the relational world then God must be a relational God and at, the, at the sense of the world was though we can uh, enjoy solitude we are we are we are meant to also have the value of fellowship and friendship uh, because that that then gives us a deeper sense of the meaning of what solitude is all about the value of solitude in order to build friendships and community so there's no way in which i could resist um you know let me just say <coughs> and i and i thought about this this afternoon driving back home as soon as the service of my auntie's funeral finished i had a desire to go and connect with the pastor of the church whom i've never met before mm. and my desire was just to go and say thank you to him i don't know why i'm like that nobody introduced me to him i just had the desire i wanted to connect with this man then i had the desire to go and connect with the pastor who preached why am i like that why am i looking for a connection even if it's just a short small one mm. and then mm. in going around there was just this one thing i saw a lady whose whose husband was my sunday school teacher he had passed away mm. And she was one of my auntie's dear friends. And I just wanted to go and say hello to her before she left. So there was this desire in me to make that connection. Now, I know that many, many other people won't have that kind of thing. You know, uh, some, some will just be there and leave. I don't seem to have that sense. I hang around. I want to make a connection with people. 
Now, is that because I'm a priest? Or is that really who Rodney is? Wanting to make connections with other human beings. And it doesn't have to be for a long time that would take from them their energy. But really just to say, I'm connecting with you. I'm acknowledging you. Mm. It's an act of my love for you. It's a way in which I'm celebrating the community of God. I don't have to say it in those words. Mm. So, so then I come to the second part of your of what you had said. It is true that nobody along my path today invited me to sin. Mm. Situations arose, and I had to look at my own responses to that. Now, why in my responses were was anger, frustration. <clears throat> irritation, which could have come out in such a way with words that I could have injured somebody by my disrespect or whatever action I would have shown that would have denigrated somebody rather than built somebody up. So is it true what Jesus says then? Sin lurks within our hearts and that speaks to our broken humanity. So when we have this priest whom in the faith of the Jews was had gone into the Holy of Holies on the behalf of the people to do the sacrifice, asking God under God's direction, and that in some way this, this lamb, the spilling of the blood, the sacrificial lamb would give uh, the people a sense of God's forgiveness. It sounds cruel and horrible that an animal should be taken at that route. Um, we will not know why that was so. However, this high priest is not, not just the high priest, he's the actual sacrificial lamb himself, as we understand Jesus to be. <clears throat> who else but he who was tempted, but who could turn sin away because he, he came to defeat it, who can help me to be redeemed from my sin. That very response is in me, that when I breathe it out, could be toxin in the world, could get somebody else's backup. Um, so I, and so, and so I, for example, at the one stage took responsibility because I realized I was going in the wrong path here. And I had to say sorry to the person. And hopefully that helped him and helped me. So within me is the hope as well that my humanity that's broken can, is, has been liberated in order for it to be restored and renewed. And I can move, therefore, from <coughs> falling into temptation by saying no to whatever responses I could have given that was painful and sinful and wrong to where I could rather be in a relationship with somebody. Because the next time I'm going to need that man to put petrol in my tank, I'm going to need him and I to be on a good footing with each other. Because it's not about putting fuel in my tank, it's about his approach to me and my approach to him. That's going to matter. Mm. 
It's not about putting air in my tires. It's about how I engage him when he takes my, my card or my money. And will I have a little token that would say to him, look, this is not much, but thank you for your service. Uh, you know, so so that here I am seeking to build relationship. And again, because of a sense of justice, mm. that it's to mm. say, it's not because I drive a car and can put my, I've got money to put petrol, you just a petrol jockey. I'm trying to recognize his humanity. He's my brother. She's my sister. And, and, and build it up. So, so, so I see redemption at work within me by the grace that Jesus comes to bring me. Um, and this helps me to see that. Okay. I still believe that people must take more personal responsibility for their own actions. Because like 90% of the time when I'm upset about something, it's mostly a frustration within myself, something I failed to do, something I didn't do, an expectation that I selfishly placed on somebody else absolutely. and not respecting them enough to act no, as they choose um which which but is I, uh, I need the redemption of jesus to be able to do that that's my view <laughs> <laughs> ah we will not go down that route <laughs> that that road is oh there, there is conflict there oh uh, but then so the author then continues so like yeah, we've explored the relationship with God, your personal relationship with God, like what is the root of the fear of God? And there isn't really a fear. It's more a, it's a possessiveness. It's a the responsibility you have to that relationship that you have formed, that very personal relationship that can be formed with, I know you said like, commandments command you not to make idols, but you have to create a little image um, to form that. It's just the way we work. But then, like, finding it in other places, like you said, like with animals, in nature, in every, it's more the respect for the creature, the plant, and the curiosity to understand how it functions and how you can help it reach its objectives, which is similar to what raising a child is. So that, I believe, is like when people find God in other things, in nature. And then the author continues here and he's like, let us have confidence then and approach God's throne where there is grace. There we will receive mercy and find grace to help us just when we need it. So that's obviously because there was now this high priest, the Jesus, he did all the things, removed the original sin, all of those things. But then the high priest himself does something very strange. In Mark um, chapter 10, verses 17 to 31, and the guy comes to him and he's like, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall honor your father and all that stuff. And then he said to them, teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. 
go sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And the dude now can't do this. And then Jesus tunes his disciples and he's like, oh, where is it now? I lost it. <laughs> it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Where is the redemption here? What was he expecting this dude to do? Did Jesus have enough empathy for this man's humanity? If I come to you and say, opinion guy, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Would you be able to talk to me about eternal life? Uh, possibly. <laughs> I tell you to have children. <laughs> and then <laughs> not consider anything to be happening after you die. <laughs> so it's interesting that Jesus' response to him was three things. One, eternal life I should do with a God who is good alone. Eternal life is about the goodness of God. Second thing is our response to obeying through commandments. But not only just not break, not just just ticking them off and saying, I'm not an adulterist, I didn't steal anything. No, it's about living your life. And I'm supposed to live your life. You live your life when you care for your brothers and sisters in less fortunate places than you are. Did Jesus say, give, uh, go and sell what you own and give the money to the poor? Did Jesus say, become poor yourself? Or did Jesus call him to share what he had in order to ensure that others are not in poverty, but that he could simply live? The burden then of holding on to wealth could deter him from really entering into uh, a sense of what eternal life was. Now, he was looking for inheritance. He was a young man. He had inheritance. So he understood inheritance in a particular kind of way. So it's, it's not just knowing who God is. It's not just keeping God's commandments and ticking off what you think you can keep. And it's interesting, <coughs> the list Jesus gave him. But it's how do we live <coughs> in relation to a marginalized world uh, where, where we have more than enough and others have nothing, where what we have accumulated can keep us, can, can burden us from truly seeking uh, because at the end of all of life, we are looking for the eternity of life. We are seeking the grace to approach the throne. We we are we are we are wanting to know where is this all going to end, and where would the accumulation of 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 things be, of money be, when my life then comes to an earthly end. So if if it, it it means nothing at that point, because it does. The accumulation of things that I've got, I can't go with it. So then how do I live with it here on earth? Am I meant to accumulate? Or am I meant to live in such a way that, yes, maybe I have the potential to accumulate, but how about being, teaching others how to do and how, how about me learning how to balance life out? I know I'm, I'm speaking not about a capitalistic world here. Mm. I'm speaking about a world where those who have 
capitalistic gifts can live in a social socialistic system. Because look, you take Mark Zuckerberg and you take Facebook away from him. You take his billions away from him. He's going he's gonna to create that billions in no, no time at all because he's got the skills to do that. He's got the capacity to do that. You do the same with, um, what's the other young man that's wealthy? Um, Tesla's Elon guy? Musk. Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Son of the soil. <laughs> Son of the soil. Yeah. The same there. You take away their, their wealth, they'll be able to accumulate it. What is more profound is when they are able to use those skills to teach others how to also not live with accumulation, but live with enough and or giving the other. I think, you know, this image that stuck, stuck with me. I mean, I'm not so sure whether I taught anybody how to catch a fish, literally, because I don't know how to catch a fish myself. But. It is that effort put into others, investing in others, <coughs> which is what Jesus came to do for us. He came to invest in us. All of heaven. If, if we could use that terminology, which we spoke about earlier on, in order for us to experience the riches of God's grace and God's love here on earth. And then he taught us and continues to teach us how, like he's teaching this man, yeah, there, there is where your problem is. Stop accumulating stuff. Rather, learn how to share what you have because you have the benefit of being able to learn how be able to do that. But if you teach others, if you share with others and help kickstart them, the burden of accumulation then is no longer deterring you from seeing the, the gift of really experiencing the joy of life, the abundance of life in a way in which your spirit is generous and charitable. And, and, and love. I mean, I just love that passage, just where you read it was he looked at him and loved him. Jesus saw the sincerity in this boy. But why would he become shocked and grieved? Because, you know, losing possessions is a real pain in the butt. When we've mm -hmm. accumulated, I mean, I've accumulated not expensive watches, but watches. Mm. Now I'm only wearing one because only one fits with my arm. I don't get the green things around it. Mm. But I've got five other watches lying in my drawer. For what purpose? I've accumulated pens. Some of which I'm not even using. Some of the fancy ones which I'm not using. For what reason did I do all of that? Now, 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 I, I know it's because I loved pens. I could not pass a pen mm. or to have pen on me. I hated the fact that people would borrow a pen from me and never bring it back. So that sense of loss was painful for me <clears throat> because of the sense of possession. I still am very holy on my pens, the ones that I buy and use. But I'm less like that now because I'm beginning to, to sense that there is 
far more value in what doesn't possess me as any as as the as um as an outside possession <clears throat> but something that that gives value to my spirit to my soul to my person to my character to my mind um which is far more deeper than just having things. Um, I mean, wh why would I want to have, and, 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 and all my life is about, hey, Lindsay, did you see, I, I, I just purchased a new Jag right now. Um, yeah, but Rodney, you just had a Porsche last week that you still have in your garage, so what's this fascination now about bringing a Jag into the, how many times would I have told you, you know, Lindsay, this week I had such a wonderful time contemplating, reflecting, writing, reading, something that I found profound to the imagination uh, that was character building, that made me realize I have to improve my relationship with my wife. How often does those things flow into our conversations? A very interesting way to, <laughs> to frame that. Um, like, my thing is, there's... there's... <coughs> I say it often, like there's this toxic obsession with piety. And almost to a point of celebrating poverty. Where sure. on the one side, yes, there is the gross inequity in this world. And there are people who are hoarding things. But you also want people to be rewarded for their contributions to society, to business too. Because a lot of, like Elon Musk, uh, there's a memorable quote um, where he says that people say that he's lucky, but the luck doesn't explain away the late nights and the sacrifices and everything that all the hard work that he's put in to get where he is. Um, where I wouldn't say that he should be celebrated for acquiring and accumulating as much wealth as he has. But especially with him and with Bill Gates and, and even with Mark Zuckerberg to an extent, although his primary way of making business is not great for the world. Um, there is a sense of trying to improve the world as well. And that doesn't make them less. As my understanding is Jesus is trying to say, uh, it's like if you are by the means and you like the nice things, Yes, by all means, go for it. I mean, that creates economies, that creates work, that creates, like, that's sure. the way the world is set up. You know, there's a feedback loop there that you might not see. Like, if that guy had an obsession with, like, golden calves, <laughs> like, the person who makes the golden calves, the people who mine the gold, like, that's an entire system that is being employed by this dude's obsession. So merely saying, look at your end product and share that, 
is overly simplistic and implying as Jesus does here and as these words get used often, the lazy way of using it is to say, you know, give to the church, don't hoard all your wealth because you can't take it with you. And it's like, yeah, but there's interconnected, there's an interconnectedness to this world that then gets completely disregarded by these sorts of things. And yeah, that, that's why for me, like these, these kind of stories where you had this beautiful setup in the letter to the Hebrews of the high priest that's been through the sin and the sacrifice, and then he's like, actual actions, actual words, actual lessons that he's trying to teach are so oversimplified. And I understand, I mean, this was like done over a course of how long was he actually, how long did it go from like leaving Nazareth, going back to the, and then going to the cross? It was like three and a half years. Three, three yeah. years. So it was a compressed timeline that he had to get everything out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like it, it's 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 harmful to have these kinds of passages shape your understanding of the world instead of trying to actually understand where people are coming from. So why would he undervalue his desire to inherit eternal life? And then grieving and being shocked that what stands in his way is not being able to hold on to his possessions. Why would Jesus, who knows the wealth of heaven, say to him, the wealth of heaven cannot be equated with what you think your, your life is of, of value because of your possessions? So what was Jesus trying to instill in this young man um, who, whose <clears throat> possessions were so many? I mean, just how much of what we possess do we really use and therefore do we really need? Now, I understand there has to be a balance. I'm just wondering about um, if uh, Elon um, um, Mars um, and others yeah. were wealth, Musk and others mm -hmm. were wealthy. <clears throat> we only speak about Elon Musk because he started the business and he created wealth as a result of it. We never speak about all of the people along the way and whether their his idea, their input on ideas plus their service does not amount to, ELO, to his extension of wealth. Some may have, but a lot of the workers in that employment would not. There was a guy in America recently decided that he's going to up the salary, the, 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 the the annual salary of all his workers to $70,000 a year. Mm -hmm. That is almost 20,000 more than the average type of thing that they would look at. And he was criticized as a result of this. But in his calculations, the thing that I understood was, 
what I'm doing hasn't impoverished me, hasn't made me poorer. The value of acknowledging that, that those in this with me also need to have some benefits that my system may have kept them from having. So when this young man is told from someone who knows the eternal wealth of heaven, your possessions are going to amount to nothing. So redress that. Don't hold on to it. If you are already grieving about your possessions because I'm suggesting you let it go, you, you share it with others, <clears throat> then that already tells you you value what you can possess on earth far more than your question. You were thinking eternal life was just another possession you could have. That's just my reflection on this whole thing. So when we are burdened by possession, and you know, <clears throat> this is not just about things. I see in the life of the church, one of the greatest burdens we have amongst our clergy is the burden of attitude mm. and aloofness and a sense of position and power. And so we end up treating people as minions. Those that I can say to, bring me your money. That's why I dare not say that from a pulpit anymore. The conviction of sharing of your resources to ensure that ministry done is on the same basis that I must share what I'm receiving to make that ministry done. Even though my portion may be less on par than you because I may earn less than you do. Mm. I mean... <clears throat> The life of a priest when we are called into ministry is not based on a salary in the Anglican church. It's based on a stipend. But not once in all the years that, and I married, I'm, I was a priest before I got married. So when my wife dared to get married to me and we dared to have children, and we dared to have what we do have, was based on a priest's stipend was based on what was due to the priest in terms of the church. And I cannot complain that I am poor. The church in its generosity, you know, um, there are some priests who when they leave a parish, will force a parish to give them a certain amount of money as a gift of going away. Wow. I, said yeah. to my, I said to myself and in the parishes that I served, <clears throat> you paid me for all the time I've worked here. I've got mm. no right to tell you to give me a gift. I've got no right to tell you to give me a farewell. That's up to you to invite me into that. So, so in other words, we also carry the burden of expectation on us, that possessiveness of expectation. Because I'm a priest, I must get this favor. It's got nothing to do with that. So, so, so what I may be possessed with may also keep me from going through the camel, the, 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 eye, the eye of the needle because of that burden that I put on myself. That is that kind of thing that I'm possessed yeah. with. 
So it's not just about this. It's about letting go of that as well. And so I can and often Trudy and I talk about this and say we have over the years and she's a teacher. She uh, left teaching very early because of our movements. There was we had want of nothing. We lived the life that we lived in terms of the choices we make. This was where the lifestyle we could afford. Mm. And we were not going mm. to try and impress it, anybody. And, and, it, and it comes down to what Francis of Assisi said in his own understanding of life. <coughs> he said, I must live simply so that others can simply live. Why? Because his focus was on the kingdom of God. Mm. That there is no comparison to the wealth of the kingdom of heaven. And so I have real serious problems with those who are kept advocating about money, money, money. Mm. I be, I, there's now I hear a, a priest or someone that says, he doesn't want to see the green because that's still growing. Huh. When you put in your money in the plate, I was wow. disgusted. It's got to be brown and upwards. How dare I say that to a congregant? But that's what priests do. And well, it you is see the business. Sorry, it is the business. So then, what, what, what are we, when the gospel is about the gift of life in all abundance? I come that you may have life in all abundance. How do we preach that? Mm. That's my challenge. That's my struggle. Maybe that's why, like Job, I too, in terms of my sermoning, have to say, man. Where is God so that I may know what to preach? But I think you you hit it there, um, and, and I'll use this as my as my closing thoughts. Where it's like, it's not the wealth. It, we we shouldn't be demonizing that. We should be demonizing the ideas that you want to please other people other or uphold some sort of image of yourself, create some image of yourself through your possessions, through your titles, through your accumulation of personal wealth, where it's like, I want the new iPhone, not because I want to show people that I have the new iPhone. It's because I know the value it will add to my life. I know I create content that it would improve the quality of. I know that I put a lot of personal value on sure. like taking good pictures that I can preserve yep. memories, that I can communicate via that as a medium, like the art <laughs> um, yeah. that I want to contribute to the world. Yeah. And it's never about how the effect, the ownership of that thing, the getting a degree or whatever is going to have on other people, how other people will look at me. It's like, how is it actually going to improve my life, make my life comfortable within 
the means that I can afford. Yeah. And that that is is the thing, and it goes back to like that that idea that if you're going to be in a relationship with God, like base that on personal, like how it can build you as a person. And and that 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 I think is the thing that we should be vilifying the 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 external expectations, the the unfair expectations we place on others, the the lack of personal responsibility. So yeah, I'll, I'll circle back and say that the fear of God that I asked you about earlier, when I was reflecting and see my notes, it's it's more the weight of the responsibility of the relationship that you have chosen to be in. And yeah, I will leave it on that. This has been a, another fantastic and, conversation. And just to say that in that relationship, God is transforming love. So inevitably, in that relationship of, of with God, <coughs> who is transforming love, we then begin to realize as we risk taking the passage that um, Haley spoke about earlier on, that love is the doorway that enables the soul to move from selfishness to service. That as I improve my life, the benefit that I can then give for others to improve their lives is what should be the option on my on my heart. Mm. Then I don't have the burden of having to say, I got this degree and I did it for the best of mine. I, 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 mm. which leads me down a path of selfishness rather than a path of service. Yeah. And in fact, that last part of Jesus's uh, response to him, when you're giving to the to, to share with others, your possessions is a form of service to those who may need whatever you have, maybe in abundance. And as you are able to serve with what you have, that will do you much better than when you hold on to it in a selfish, selfish way. Mm. <clears throat> and uh, Reverend, if you could please extract a few other short points of reflection from the praise of the church. Thank you very much. This has been another wonderful conversation. Thanks very much, Lindsay. I want to hold up, we're doing form A this week that is in our prayer book on page 109. And here we give thanks to God that we are able to celebrate the Holy Eucharist together at the table of the Lord. And as <clears throat> those who keep falling short of the glory, yet by gathering at the table, we are able to glorify God and to, to give thanks for God's mercies. We are called to gather as God's church in Christ Jesus to pray for the church and all faith-based communities and for all people according to their needs. We thank God that he hears our prayers through his son, Jesus Christ, our great high priest. And so we pray for our diocese as it meets in synod from tomorrow evening till Wednesday and pray for all its deliberations and how this synod 
will help grow the diocese to be effective as a church in this part of God's world and beyond. We ask God's blessings on Bishop Margaret as she delivers her charge, chairs the synod. We pray for all the synod reps, the hubs where this will be held, and the challenge we have of a virtual synod, given that we may have um, the lack of electricity available. We pray for our Archbishop and all bishops and pray that as the church is called to proclaim the gospel of Christ, the gospel of eternal life, the gospel of grace, the gospel of good news, that God will grant all Christian people to be united in truth, live together in God's love and reveal God's glory to the world. As we think of the world, we think of the resources that your Lord provided for us and, and all its beauty coming out of the seasons of creation these past four weeks, <coughs> that we may value the church, the, the world as our home, and that we will look after our home with respect. So we pray that you may give us all reverence for your creation, making us worthy stewards of your gifts. Thinking of the words stewards, we think of the nations of the world, for it is our carbon footprint that we have on this world. And the nations and the leaders of nations are often called into question, particularly those who do not believe in the climatic changes and challenges facing us, those who are still pursuing um, lifestyles of their nations that gobble up, that misuse the world's resources, that leave many people impoverished. So as we pray, we ask that leaders will be open to wisdom from above, direction into the way of justice and peace. And that all of us, O oh God, may honor one another daily seeking the common good. And here we pray as we go into municipal elections and we pray for the protection of people. We think of the tensions between political parties. Lord, protect our constitution and our democracy. Praying for our nation, we think of families, our families and our friends. Those are special claims on us. We thank you for our husbands and our wives, for our children, for the extended family, grandparents and aunties and uncles and cousins. We thank you also for the neighborhood. We thank you for the community of St. George, St. Mark's and St. Monica's. Give grace to all whose lives are closely linked with ours, that we may serve Christ in them and love one another as Christ loves us. 
in families and friends, we realize that there are many who are in trouble, whose lives are filled with sorrow and need, sickness, <coughs> pardon me, or any other adversity. Those that are still hospitalized <coughs> as a result of COVID infection, and those who are there for other ch medical challenges. Or to all who suffer, give courage, healing, and a steadfast trust in your love. May we, Lord, continue to see recoveries being made. And as we give you thanks, we mourn those who've died. We're amazed, Lord, by the compassionate care, those on the forefront. And we're thankful for the vaccines. And we continue to pray that there may be compliance and that we may hold up the common good of all. And so we pray in thanksgiving for those who have gone before us, members of our family, friends, neighborhoods, nations, all who have died this past week. According to your promises, grant us with them a share in your eternal kingdom. Lord, we thank you for your blessed saints who have walked the way before us, have shown us the benefit of following you in a personal relationship. Thank you for the blessed Virgin Mary, the mother of our Lord, for the patriarchs, prophets, apostles, and martyrs, not only for patriarchs, Lord, but for matriarchs of the faith. We commend ourselves and all Christian people. No, no, not all Christian people, Lord. All people, those of a given faith and those who claim to have no faith, whatever the, the way it is, commend them to your unfailing love. Merciful Father, accept these our prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. So come now and bless Africa and all continents. Please God our children and guide our leaders and give us peace for Jesus' sake. We ask your blessings on all who celebrate birthdays and wedding anniversaries this week. May your continued love be outpoured into their lives by your availing presence through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And so, my brothers and sisters, as we conclude this podcast, this act of worship, we pray that you will go in the confidence of, of people who have found mercy. Follow Jesus, keep the commandments, letting go of all that binds you to the ways of this world and invest everything in God's realm. And may God Come close to you and keep you safe. May Christ Jesus reward your faithfulness in a hundredfold. May the Holy Spirit be your help in time of need. And when you go into this week, go with courage, in peace, to love and serve the Lord. Do so in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us. May God bless you. And again, the invitation is come aboard and Join the conversation. Help us to develop sound theology, sound practice of faith, grappling of faith as we have done so far. 
for over 18 months. Uh, thank Glendry also for his faithfulness to this program and process.